Mark Woods, good morning. It is so wonderful to have you join us this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for writing such an excellent and intriguing book and giving us an opportunity to think about adventure. We can certainly enjoy it vicariously, but I think in Lassoing the Sun, you are no doubt wanting to really uh, engage us that we might want to set out and create our own adventures. Um, definitely. I mean, I think part of it is this, you know, this idea with the centennial of the National Park Service, kind of what what can we do or what is what are the issues for the future? And part of it is, um, are we handing down the parks to future generations? And, and not just from a kind of a macro national level, what are we doing as a, you know, our government? It's kind of an individual personal level. Are we, am I passing a love of the parks down to my daughter like my mom and dad did to me. And that's, if if I could, you know, inspire a few people to uh, just do the same, and I know a lot of folks already are, but to get out there and go to the parks and take, take their children, take their grandchildren, I think that's kind of the, the ultimate goal, I guess. I think so, too. And sometimes it's so easy to just get so bogged down in life and be somewhat tunnel vision that having a book such as Lassoing the Sun and really considering our national parks, our national treasure, really, gives us a chance to stop and think, wait a minute, what am I doing? You know, what can I plan to do? So I think that's one of the key things that hopefully we'll do in this next little conversation together that uh, will inspire others to pick up that baton and move forward. Absolutely. I Myself, I think if you'd asked me five years ago, do you love the national parks? I was, of course. And then if you'd asked me, well, when was the last time you took your daughter to one? At that point, she was about nine or 10. And I would have said, well, I've taken her to a couple ones, but I hadn't done what my mom and dad did where we, you know, that kind of baby boomer, that iconic kind of pile in the station wagon and fight with your sisters in the backseat kind of vacation. And um, I don't think you regret taking, back to your point that um, we're, we're so busy, we don't have time, we, you know, can we squeeze in three hours here or two hours there that we just don't feel like we have time for those big grand vacations anymore. But I think if we take them, you know, it's, you know, the cost of the time and the, the money to do it, you know, we don't regret it. I don't regret uh, any of these vacations I've done. And I have these memories of my own childhood vacations that I, I couldn't tell you what I got for my for Christmas uh, when I was 10 or what I got for my birthday that year. But I can tell you very detailed going to the Redwood and remember the campsite and the smell and the, where my tent was and remember all these details. And I think so that made me think I want my daughter to have some of those same kind of memories. So that's kind of where the uh, initial inspiration for this came from, I think. And yet there is a larger story in your writing, Lassoing the Sun, that you went out to visit the national parks. There was a, a writing contest, if you will. I mean, that's putting it very simplistically. But this was really an adventure, but also something that you uh, really had set out to do. You were awarded the prize for doing this. Right. Um, I'm a columnist at newspaper here in Jacksonville, Florida, and there was a there's a fellowship called the Eugene C. Pulliam Fellowship, which I hadn't heard of till an email popped into my mailbox one day, and I, 
I'm pretty sure I deleted it once and deleted it twice, and then maybe the third time I got an email, it, it said it's for a mid-career um, columnist or editorial writer, um, basically to give you this grant to take a year and pursue some big project. And, and I thought, well, I, I think I'm mid-career. Hopefully I've got a Got some career left, but I thought, what would I, what would I even do if I had a year? And there's, there's obviously a lot of um, you know, worthy, very meaty topics, but I didn't really feel like I would want to devote a year to them. And I thought, what, what would I want to do? And I thought, well, I'd want to travel to national parks. And um, but who's going to give me a grant for that? And then it kind of struck me that this was 2011, and 2016 was going to be the centennial of the national parks. And Ken Burns and many others had wonderfully detailed the history of our parks, but what, what was the future? So that was kind of the premise for my proposal. And then to my surprise, I won. They, they give it to one writer in America and I won that year. So I had the fellowship in 2012 and I'm um, kind of laid out a plan where I was going to go one park a month. And then um, five weeks into the year, my, my mom was diagnosed with cholangiocarcinoma, um, which is a, a very bad cancer and was told she had months to live. So that really kind of flipped the year in many different ways where it, on one hand it made the project feel you know, meaningless, in other ways it made it feel extremely meaningful because my, my mom loved the National Park. She volunteered at the National Park in Saguaro National Park in, in Tucson where she lived and she wanted me to keep doing what I was doing. So I think she was probably more proud of me for what I was doing at that point in time than anything I'd ever done. So it became a very meaningful year in a in different ways than I ever planned or anticipated. And it's interesting to think about these threads of life, how they weave and then come together and really create something that has so much substance. When you say that this project was something that your mom was perhaps most proud of in what you were doing, and I'm sure that she would really be elated at seeing this book and the whole adventure, the whole process of what you went through. Right. I think it's funny. She was always, um, you know, I have two sisters and all of us, she kind of was a, you know, one of our big, believed in us in ways that I think we'd, we'd sometimes roll our eyes about. You know, I came out of, in college, I was a photojournalism major, and she said, well, you should apply to National Geographic. And, Mom, you don't <laughs> realize it doesn't just work like that. There's thousands of amazing photographers out there who want, want that job. So I think on one hand, she'd be very happy. On the other hand, she always assumed when I started this, oh, yeah, you're going to write a book and you're going to get it published and all those things. But yes, I think she would be proud to be able to go to the Saguaro bookstore where she, in the visitor center where she had worked and say that I had a book coming out about the national parks. And um, and yes, there is those threads of kind of was struck throughout wherever I went, these threads of life and death. And I kind of found that just comforting that you're reminded of that constantly when you're in the national parks. It's a place that I think makes you think about death and life and, and not in a morbid ways, but just kind of in this in a cycle of life kind of way. And um, it helped me deal with losing her. And it made me feel like I tell people I know where I can go if I want to be close to her. And my dad was a Baptist minister, but if I were to go to be close to either of them, it's not like I would go and sit in a church, it would be that I would go and sit in one of some of the the natural places that they, they loved and they passed along that love to me. And um, so that there's that, that constant thread in a way that I, I start off thinking in more journalistic terms when the, 
when I began this, but it, it definitely became a much more personal story. And it's beautiful. And with just what you have shared in this sense, Mark, I think it it draws us in to say, what is the kind of meaning, what kind of lifelong kind of depth of passions will I gather, will I instill in my family members, pass down to my children? You talk about that in terms of legacies. We we can ex- really feel that, that you had that from your parents and you are desiring to pass that on to your daughter. Right. I think it was um, and when I met with I think it was the Acadia superintendent, Sheridan Steele. He talked about the baby boomers, this this passage of wealth and passage of things that we're going to be handing down. And he said, well, what about these things that aren't monetary? And and are we passing these down? And um, so, yeah, it's made me really focus and think. It made me that year think about what did, what did my parents give me because they never had a lot of money. But you know, kind of the classic. You'll 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 appreciate at some point what your parents did for you, and I and and more and more do, and the, some of the gifts that they gave me, um, the, the memories, the experiences, the appreciation for these things, and and I think I want to, you know, we're so focused on, can we get our children this gift or that, you know iPad or or whatever, and, and I think, you know, we need to remember the kind of things that really stick with us that our parents gave us. So, um, it, yeah, the, the the process of the year and then the book both became much more introspective, and I still try to focus on the future of the parks and kind of um, when I was talking to an agent and a publisher, and they, they said, which is it? Is it the story of of you and your mom and your parents, or is it the story of the future of the national parks? And I, I said, I, I really feel like they go hand in hand. Now, how to make them go hand in hand in the storytelling is, is, I'm not exactly sure. So that's what I kind of worked on. But to me, it, it's both. I mean, and there, it's the, the year it was impossible for me to, to separate. Well, this is going on with my mom, and this is going on with the parks. They were so intertwined. And, and in so many different ways. And we are thus the recipients of this in- incredible story, this incredible weaving of the different parts of, of life. And I, I think from what you're saying, and, and we perhaps look at our own lives and really can get this, experiences, those are deeply lasting, whereas those things, the iPads and the phones and whatever, the stuff, yeah, in the moment it's kind of fun and it's great, but we won't necessarily remember it. Like you say, you know, you know the presents, those kinds of gifts that came for birthdays and, and Christmases, but it's the experiences that really go like deeply into ourselves, don't they? Yeah, and when I traveled, I'd often ask, I was just kind of out of curiosity to ask the question, you know, to people, what's what's your favorite national park? And and, and almost inevitably, it wasn't, um, well, it's so and so because of this vista, or um, you know, that was always a, a role: the natural beauty, the um, the wildlife, the night skies, whatever those kind of things. But it almost inevitably was also, I went to this place 
um, with my mom and dad, or um, I took my girlfriend, who's now my wife, to this, um, you know, this national park, and it, and so those those experiences are are just overwhelmingly powerful, and um, and and I know, you know, <laughs> when I take my daughter, I say, you know, I want to take her to these places, and it, it became often a, a battle. And the, the start of the book, I started in the redwoods, describing a trip going there. Um, when she was about the age I was when I went there, and she just is complaining the whole way, complaining. And um, we get there, and she has a, an amazing time. At one point, turns to me when we're around a campfire and says, Daddy, I was wrong. And I, I said, can I go get the video camera, and <laughs> can you repeat that? And and But then I end the book, you know, for, several years later with an epilogue, and we go to Cumberland Island, which is in our backyard here, and on the ferry ride over, she's kind of doing the same thing, and is, is, you know, I'm thinking, where did I go wrong, and you know, where did my parents go right, and and I realized, I think back, and I was like, well, my sisters and I did fight a lot, and I'm sure I complained about the, the heat or the rain or the bugs or, so, in hindsight, it probably wasn't. I remember all the good things now, but it wasn't necessarily probably idyllic in the moment. My parents pushed through that, and 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 the result is I have this, this you know profound attachment to some of these places I went, and then, and even some of the places I haven't gone but desperately want to get to. Um, so I, I think there is yeah that 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 thread of of that timeline of generations, like I said, both from a national scale and an individual scale. And it just makes me think, Mark, you know, thinking ahead into the next couple of decades as your daughter marries and has children, her experience then to maybe remember what it was like and be taking those children to national parks and maybe experiencing a bit of bit of a pushback and, you know, just that mm-hmm. cycle, seeing all that go around and you can share a, a secret smile between the two of you. <laughs> yes. And when I wrote about I, I, before I wrote about it in the book, I wrote a column about that, about going to Cumberland Island, because my my mom had this tradition that when her grandchildren, she started when they turned 12, she would take them on a on a trip, just the two of them, and they'd do some kind of adventure. It was She took um, my one of my sister's daughters to the Grand Canyon, and she had plans that year to take another one, and then a couple, a few years later, she was going to take my daughter. Um, so the trip to Cumberland Island was, um, was supposed to be kind of me continuing that tradition and here it was I was having these these um struggles and and yet it turned out to be a, a wonderful trip so but when I wrote that I wrote a column about that for the paper and I got lots of emails saying that people could relate and basically I think it isn't it isn't easy I mean these trips you're going to have these moments when you're you know you're you're fighting and you're um tired and you're hot or you're cold but then I think pretty quickly and then you have all these wonderful moments and I think you get home and pretty quickly you realize that was that was an amazing experience that was um, very different than what we'd have if we just stayed at home and taken a week off and um, I talked to Dayton Duncan who is the um, kind of it was Ken Burns, right hand man, was the writer behind the, the PBS series. I went up to New Hampshire where they're based, and he he told a story about um, going to the Grand Tetons when he was um, about ten years old, and 
how he can, his mom always said Jenning Lake there was the most amazing spot anywhere and that he was able to stand there and hold his mom's hand and then go back there with his own children and hold their hand. And that's kind of the magic of the uh, the national parks that you can kind of almost warp time and, and, and in a way that you can't go back to your hometown often and say this is that you could point to the spot. Well, here's where I used to do this or here's where I went to school. Here's where I played baseball. But often those those places are gone or they've changed dramatically, but you can can go to some of these spots where you went to as a kid and and guess what? It's it's pretty much how you remembered it, which is, is pretty remarkable. And that was your experience. You mentioned going back to the Redwoods because of course you went there as a child with your family and then you take, go there with your daughter, and th- th- these trees, these majestic giant sequoias, are are still standing there, grander than ever, right? Right. Yeah. And and it's just um, there's a stout grove. We we camped at a, a campground called Jed- Jedediah Smith, and right across the Smith River, there's a footbridge, and you, there's this grove of trees, stout grove, which is old growth redwoods, and um, um, I'd get up early in the morning and um, walk over there before it got crowded with people hiking during it. And um, and one morning my daughter woke up and she said, I'll, I'll go with you. So we walked over there and it was kind of that early light pre-dawn. And, it, you know, it's, it, it's pretty magical, pretty amazing to, it feels almost um, like you're in a medieval prehistoric time. And, and then you think that these redwoods literally be thousand years old and and long before the you know our country existed that they you know they were already old at that point and um i found that whether standing in the redwoods or standing in the rim of the grand canyon and thinking about the rock being you know more than a billion years old you think about how you're such a blip in the time of timeline of history and i found that kind of just oddly comforting that we get wrapped up in our our day-to-day, you know, kind of sweating the small stuff, and and that kind of reminds you just take a deep breath, relax, and try not to worry about small things, and just appreciate, you know, each day. Indeed, there's, it's beyond words what the experience is, and that's the the invitation and the intrigue here with. This grand new book, A Year in America's National Parks, Lassoing the Sun, an opportunity to experience some of the parks vicariously through your experiences, Mark, but also, I think, then be intrigued to find one. And I think we don't even have to go very far because we can look in our own area, wherever that might be, and find a national park within easy commuting distance. Absolutely. That was um, one thing I, I wasn't doing very well until that year. We have um, we have several in our backyard, and I think because I'm looking for the, you know I'm looking for the dramatic mountains and and things that we don't have here. I often kind of over overlooked them and took them for granted. We have Cumberland Islands National Seashore just across uh, the border in Georgia. We have the Timucuan Ecological and Historic Preserve, which is this forty some thousand acres of coastal um, east east coast wetlands and marshes that just it, it has its own beauty so I'm definitely guilty of that and I think 
wherever you are, there's 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 bound to be things right in your backyard. It, it doesn't have to be um, you know an epic two week trip. Um, and but I'm always kind of drawn to some of those. I mean, I, I one of my favorite spots was and I want to get back there was uh, was Olympic up that way and um, just an amazing place that feels like several national parks in one. Um, so, but you're right, right, that we do, we do have spots in our backyard. There's 400 some units of the national park system. So wherever you live, there probably is something not far away from you. And each of them has their own unique beauty that's just natural to that part of the world. Yes, here on the West Coast, we do have these tall mountains and uh, interestingly, with the Olympic National Forest, having a rainforest all contained within there is is pretty incredible. But each area has its beauty. Looking at uh, Utah and all the, the stone structures there is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, one of, and part of my favorite parts of the country are, are right there in Utah and, the, and northern Arizona and the, the Colorado Plateau there, and then going farther south to Saguaro and Tucson. And I think part of what I what I love about Saguaro is that it feels so different to me. I mean, I grew up in the Midwest and Wisconsin and Michigan and Illinois, and, and you go to Tucson and it, I feel like I've stepped into a you know a set of a western movie in these you know, hillsides with the, the giant swirl cactus and um, and I still even though I've been there my mom lived there for 50, final 15 years of her life and many trips there I, every time I land there it just feels um, so different and so foreign and 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 yet familiar after a while it's it's one of my favorite places just because it is different from the kind of lush greenness of where I live here. Um, but it has, a, you learn to appreciate how how its lushness is kind of hidden. There's there's so much vegetation and so much wildlife in, um, in the Saguaro National Park. Um, and then, as you said, Utah with the, the red rock. Some people, uh, somebody said, well, there's, there's not many trees there. And I said, no, but the it's just a different kind of it's the shapes and the line and the night skies and there are trees there but yes there's certain spots where very different from from what we have so I think about um just the scope of what we have in the United States I'd often bump into during the year people from other parts of the world and they'd say we don't have this where I live and do you know do you realize what you have in America and I think sometimes we tend to forget what we do have that the diversity of these places is just pretty mind-boggling. And, yeah, and then Olympic to have right there, to have glacier-capped mountains and this rugged coastline with the sea stacks and then a rainforest, to have those three things on that one peninsula, that alone is, is remarkable. And that, we are fortunate, it is right in our backyard. But what I feel we have the opportunity to do, it's so diverse, and it's great to hear other people's input that way because it is so easy to take things for granted when they're right here. But I think the timing with this book, Lassoing the Sun, just coming out for the summer, 
a great time when we're thinking about adventuring out around our area or further out across the country and also celebrating the 100th anniversary of our national parks. The timing of all of this, I think, is just so perfect. Right. And that was kind of always the goal when I pitched the idea for the project in 2011 was like, well, if I could have this come out in the summer of 2016, that would be perfect. And um, last fall, I probably was starting to wonder whether that was going to happen. I hadn't finished writing it and I didn't have a publisher yet. So I was glad to kind of have that play out and go into hyperspeed and have everything ready for the centennial because that was always my goal would be that it'd be my little contribution to celebrating the centennial in a way that maybe the Park Service itself isn't going to, you know, have somebody here go ahead and write a big novel or a big book, nonfiction book about your experiences. So I felt like it was something I could do that maybe the Park Service can't do, that um, it's different from what um, advocacy groups such as MPCA, National Parks Conservation Association do. They do amazing, wonderful work, but they're probably not going to sit down and write something like this. So I picture it as the gift my parents gave me, but kind of trying to pass that gift down to my daughter and pass it on to others and kind of remind people why we love the parks and what they do for us. And I feel that you have certainly done that incredibly well. You've given us such a great way to dream and a wonderful opportunity. Having said that, do you have a goal for this summer in visiting one or maybe even more national parks? Well, yeah. Last fall, I was all set to go to Zion, which I have not been to, and quite a few people have told me it's their favorite, and um, so it's been very high on my list. I had that a trip all planned, and then had the um, got the book deal, so I scrapped that. So that is uh, back atop my list to try and make it to this fall. There's a bunch of places during this year. I mostly was traveling on my own. And I'd come home and I'd say to my wife and daughter, I want you to see such and such. And one of them was Acadia. We've been talking about maybe doing a family trip there this summer, Acadia in Maine. And partly because it's just a, um, they're all, I think, wonderful family places. But it, in particular, I think, is a great place for a family. Really some good combination of trails that can be very challenging if you want, but they also can be just very simple and short. There's just so many different things to do. Those two are pretty high on my list. And then um, during the year, before my mom was diagnosed, we were going to do a trip during the year, and we were going to go to uh, Denali. And then once she quickly became sick and we realized she was dying, I scrapped the plans to go to Denali. So I still have not been to Denali in Alaska. So that all of a sudden has a different kind of meaning to me. When I get there, finally, it will be, I guess I'll feel like I'm kind of going there for my mom and experiencing it for her. I don't have that one planned, but that's high on my list now, too. And that's beautiful. And one thing I'll mention in terms of Acadia, when we visited Maine, it was suggested that we go there to see the sunrise because that's where it strikes our country first as the sun rises. And it was really an incredible experience. Yeah. Uh, springtime in Maine and seeing the sunrise, it, it was beautiful. And the park, of course, is, is pretty incredible itself. So uh, I hope you truly enjoy that. Yes, yes. And that's, that's um, that kind of is why I started the, well, it is why I started the book, uh, the first chapter in, in Acadia was because um, I was trying to think what would be a good symbolic starting spot once I had the, the, the fellowship and I kind of had this golden ticket to, to create my own year. 
that was tough. Where do where do you start? What national park do you start? And I just decided Acadia for that exact reason. The sun first place it hit U.S. soil. So I thought that would be kind of the fitting symbolism. So then I called up to uh, friends of Acadia and to folks at the National Park Service up there and said, are there are there people who go up and watch on New Year's Day? And that's what I did for the first day. And it, four years later, I'm still trying to thaw out. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a bit brisk on, uh, on New oh, Year's especially now that I've been in Florida for 20-some years, uh, not maybe prepared for the wind, but it was very, very memorable. I'll also say, do not go to Haleakala in January. Right. <laughs> well, that's, and that's where I finished because for the exact same reason, so it was December 31st. You know, I started with the first sunrise in uh, Acadia, and, fin- and people would joke, well, you started in sunrise in May. Are you going to finish with sunset in um, Hawaii? And I and I started looking at all the different Hawaii parks, and when I saw that Haleakala was called House of the Sun, that's what it means. Then when I read the mythology of the place, being that it were the demigod Maui lassoed the sun for his mother to make the day last a little bit longer, I thought, oh, okay, well, that's fate. I'm supposed to end the year at the top Haleakala. So, yes, I spent the final week of the year basically camping um, either in the crater or on the side of the mountain there and went to several sunrises. Uh, another place that I think will stick with me for a very, very long time. It's just a remarkable spot. Well, Mark Woods, it has been wonderful to have you share with us. Again, the book Lassoing the Sun, freshly out and available at all of our favorite book sources, correct? Exactly. Yep. It should be wherever you can get books.